0: Well, once again, I want to welcome those of you uh, who are here uh, this morning. And I want to invite you to turn to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 16 into chapter 4 as far as verse 5. And if you would, would you stand and then join me uh, for a moment's prayer? Holy Spirit. You who inspired the apostle to write these words, wrote them not only for Timothy, but for us. May you grant we would profit from them fully today. We need your help, and we ask for it now. In Christ's name, Amen. Amen. Verse 16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching." For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You may take your seats. Well, as I grow older, I can tell that I'm starting to lose my hearing. In fact, uh, both Nancy and I are, and sometimes it just leads to some uh, uh, comical moments. Um, In order to uh, communicate, I I try to figure out, you know, how loud I ought to be so that I'm sure she hears me, and more often than I care to admit, she's so close, well, that it comes across as if I'm yelling at her. And of course there's more than one kind of uh, hearing loss. Uh, My dad could not hear my mother's critical nagging. It just rolled off his back. He really thought life's too short for this kind of unpleasantness. And then there's our children. Well, one of our children. When it came the time to give the talk, you know the talk, I mean. Nancy and I were determined to be very intentional Uh, about it, and to do a better job than our parents had done uh, with us. And so we sought out advice, and and we knew it shouldn't be one big talk at the age of 16, but rather a series of age-appropriate talks. And every time we tried to have this talk with one of our children, la, 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 and, you know, it was difficult, (laughs) to have that conversation. Now, a lot of people uh, who uh, come to church and identify as Christ uh, followers have a hearing problem as well. God wants to have a conversation with you. Uh, He has written a series of love letters. He has a series of words as a wise father to you. He wants to speak to you about all of life, and it's here. Here's where he's speaking, and yet more and more people can't uh, hear him. They have various filters in their uh, heads. Uh, It's as if they did have their fingers in their ears, and they were singing at the top of their uh, voices. Uh, John writes about these uh, filters in his first letter when he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides in Forever. Now, the world here uh, is uh, John's term and often the Bible's term to describe the system of values and desires and thought that are the collective pattern of sin in any group of people, in any uh, culture. Every group of people has these patterns uh, that the Bible intends by world. Uh, Really, we could add the word system. Uh, to uh, really bring out its sense. And these values are not compatible with the love of God. These are the ideas that characterize the age uh, that we live in, and they include the passing uh, fads uh, that come, and they can be very hard uh, to see and to detect. Here's just a few examples. The desire of the eyes and the pride of possessions. Well, we value money and possessions a lot. In fact, we often use them to take the measure of a person's life, the measure of how successful uh, they are, or maybe even how worthwhile they are as a human uh, being. And uh, more than we may realize, we value money and things over Uh, people. Money has a power to actually compete uh, with our loyalty to God. And we have so much stuff, just look in your basement and or your garage, that we have a whole industry devoted to storage spaces. Just go look up how many storage units there are in America. We really like stuff. And what it means is we resist hearing the warnings about the corrosive effect of money and possessions on our relationship with God. We just tell ourselves, well, those warnings are for people who have more than I do. They couldn't possibly apply to me. Another one we could label consumerism, and it's shaped us all very, very deeply. It's a way of approaching all of life every experience, even every interaction we have with uh, people as if we were shopping at Target. You know, you move along the aisle and you see if you can find uh, what you uh, want. And this mindset, this pattern of living, carries into matters of morality and valuing what's important and even what I'll accept as truth. And so many people come to church and they listen uh, for what they want out of the worship service, and they pass on the rest. If it doesn't appeal to their tastes or their intuitions, it's just optional. It's just like, you know, that box of cereal there on the shelf. Relativism and tolerance are just another dominant mindset of our uh, times. And so competing and even... Conflicting values are viewed as equally uh, valid. Uh, No one has the right to tell anyone else what's right or what to do with your life or even what's real, even God. And on top of all of this, and this is so obvious, we all, because we're so wired and plugged in, we're in a perpetual state of distraction. Now, these filters make it particularly hard for you and I to hear God. And God wants to talk with you about things you cannot discover on your own. He wants to tell you about himself. He wants to talk with you about life and its purpose. He wants to talk to you about how you can have a relationship with him so that your life flourishes. And he wants to make known to you the remedy for what's wrong in the world, why Uh, it's violence and injustice and oppression and poverty haven't given away uh, to simply education or some other social engineering uh, program, as well as our anxiety, our fear, our pain, our depression. If the Bible is true, then these conversations that God wants to have with you will be among the most important you'll ever have. The relationship you can have with him if you listen will be extraordinary. It'll be sweet and satisfying. Uh, It will challenge you and make you at times uncomfortable. It may terrify you, and it most certainly will baffle you. And even if you don't believe God is speaking in uh, the Bible with clarity and authority, there will come a time When you'll want to have a conversation with God. Not to answer your philosophical questions, but very personal ones. When might that time come? Well, it comes in the lives of almost every student, somewhere in middle school, high school, college, and actually comes to many of us in the course of life's uh, transitions and those unexpected. Uh, unplanned and even undesired things. Who am I? What's life about? What's worth doing with my life? Why is life so hard? The pain, the confusion, and the disappointment of life, which you will experience, even if you haven't yet, will drive you out of yourself, unless you just self-medicate, and seek escape. You know what I mean by self-medicating. You can use food, entertainment, uh, drugs, alcohol, porn, or something else. If you don't do that and you allow yourself to feel the pain and the grief, you will want to have a conversation with someone who's wiser, greater, and able to act. God wants to talk to you. Uh, He's not playing hide-and-seek. He's not hiding behind Neptune or Arcturus. No, the whole story of the Bible is God wanting to have a conversation. It begins in the Garden of Eden, and God conversed like friends do on a walk with Adam and Eve. Before they rebelled, they needed God's words. And he spoke to them about who they were as image bearers, the purposes for which he had created them, what the relationship should be between men and women. He gave them directions and commands and entrusted them to carry them out to develop uh, all the potential in the rich and beautiful uh, world he created. And they, like us, they needed that word Uh, because we are interpreters of reality. We have a deep, ingrained need to make sense of life, to make sense of the world around us. And so we look for explanations. In fact, we'll make up stories uh, to make sense of things, even if they really don't uh, fit what actually uh, took place. We will never get it right without God's Word. When Adam and Eve turned away from God because, well, they didn't think he had their best interest in heart when he forbid them to eat from one of the trees in the garden. They asserted their autonomy, and they incurred the consequences of that, and so every relationship they had became disordered, even with their bodies. And so physical death entered the world. But even then, God sought them out, and graciously, uh, he asked them to face what they had done, and then he gave them this marvelous promise that he would undo all the damage that had come as a result of their disobedience. And as God's plan in that promise unfolded, his plan to redeem and uh, rescue, uh, God meets with his people in the desert, and he makes a real show of it. Uh, uh, it's loud, it's piercing, it's scary. And they beg God to stop speaking. They say, just talk to Moses. Uh, but God had made a lasting impression on them, and they were convinced that when Moses spoke, he was speaking for God. Over the years, God communicated lots of different ways dreams and visions and angels, but especially through the prophets. And they came in every imaginable size and shape. There were highly cultured and literary writers like Isaiah. Uh, There were skillful speakers who laid a trap for their listeners like Amos. And then there were men like Elijah who thundered like a storm. And in the end, God decided the very best way to communicate was to become a human being. Jesus is the word of God. In him is the final and fullest communication from God. Now, don't miss this. God prefers personal to impersonal communication. God prefers to engage in personal communication, not impersonal. And this has a lot to do with why he is ordained preaching and why preaching is essential, why it is that it's necessary. Preaching actually has a primacy in God's communication with us because he intends all of us to understand his fatherly counsel, to hear his love in the letters he's written in this book. And Paul in our text tells us that God wants to address every need in our lives. The Word of God speaks to every need. He wants to do this through the act of preaching, through the act of your uh, listening, as He speaks to you on Sunday mornings through your pastor. Now, you might wonder, can't I just read the Bible on my own? Well, yes, you can, and I hope you do. Uh, I hope uh, that uh, you come to learn it well, and you will learn it better if you recognize that, well, you don't have the time, the resources, or the training to understand the Bible as well as your pastor does. And further, if your pastor is preaching uh, uh, sermons that, are expository, that actually open up the meaning of the text, and that's the main point of the sermon, you'll actually become a better reader of the Bible. You'll understand it uh, better. And yes, there are wonderful resources, all sorts of free resources to help you with the Bible, but God is quite intent on this arrangement, that a pastor of a local church who knows you, who loves you, who's responsible for your well Uh, being, open the scriptures uh, with you. I charge you, Paul writes to Timothy, in the presence of God to preach the word. The preaching of the word was not made obsolete by the printing press. Because you own a Bible or two or ten doesn't mean you can opt out of church and being under the ministry of the word. Now, look closely. I don't know if you have your Bible open, but if not, listen carefully then to what Paul writes. In verse 16 and 17, he writes, "'All scriptures breathed out by God "'and profitable for teaching, for reproof, "'for correction, and training in righteousness.'" And then in 4.2, he says, "'Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, "'reprove, rebuke, and exhort "'with complete patience and teaching.'" You see how many of the same words are used, how they overlap? What Paul's uh, emphasizing here is that uh, we need to be taught to know what it actually means to love other people or God. That you need someone to look you in the eye and say you're wrong about that. You need, through preaching, to recognize through the Word that you need to change something in your life, you can't leave it that way, Uh, that you need to uh, receive the exhortation to serve others, to serve the poor, Uh, that you need to be generous uh, with uh, your time. You see, preaching is one of the fundamental ways which God uses to make you whole and complete as a person. God wants to grow all of us up into the freedom and wholeness and maturity, which often the Bible describes as the likeness of Christ. It's comprehensive. It includes uh, how we think, the intellectual part of our lives, our relationships, our social uh, parts of our lives, our spiritual, emotional, and even physical selves. And there's more to being mature and complete than knowing your way around the Bible or understanding the confession of faith. In fact, there are a lot of people who are very knowledgeable about those things, but are actually emotionally and relationally quite immature. You see, if you don't know how to listen and converse with somebody when they disagree with you, how to resolve conflicts, uh, how to face the things in your past that have hurt you and actually influence how you're living uh, today. Um, If you're even unaware of them and how they affect you, or you're unable to admit when you're uh, wrong, or you resist constructive criticism, or you're unable to embrace grief and loss, and uh, live out of the resources of the gospel, well, you have a ways to go. And I dare say there's many a person who's chronologically my age and is an adolescent or younger in all of those things or some of them. God's word is creative and powerful and healing will change us. It's his word, though, and he's in charge of it and how it impacts us. And he speaks through our ears to address our minds, and through our minds, our hearts. That's why preaching is so important. You can't just rub this on you and and experience life change. You, You have to hear it. It has to come in through your ears to your heart and mind. And so Paul charges Timothy and all pastors to give themselves to preaching in season and out of season. That's a way of saying give yourself fully, uh, to this uh, work all year long. In fact, he emphasizes this in the first letter he wrote Timothy when he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's a comprehensive salvation. Paul, writing of his own ministry, says, We proclaim him, that's Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he so powerfully works within me. And don't miss this. Christ, Paul says, comes to us through the act of the sermon being preached to us. It's Christ. It's it's personal. He meets with us in the act of uh, preaching. As long as the pastor is reasonably faithful to Scripture, Christ will come to you. Now, Christ gives and calls men to do this, And every man he gives some calls ends up doing this somewhat differently. And in a few weeks or a few months, there's going to be a new man standing in this uh, pulpit regularly, Lord willing. And he's not going to sound like me. He's not going to sound like Pastor Skip. He's not going to sound like any pastor you've ever heard or whoever it is that you like to listen to uh, in some form of media. He's going to be his own person, because God intends truth to come through personality. He's going to have different life experiences than I am. He's not going to speak as I do. Uh, But the same Christ will minister uh, through him. And so it's really important, and you've done this for me, and I'm sure you did it uh, for your last pastor, and you'll do this, to be sure that he has the quality and quantity of time needed to study and prepare his sermons. But it's also why you need to listen to those sermons you miss for one reason or another. And I know many of you uh, do that. It, it really amazes me, but that's such a wonderful uh, thing because it's so often that what the pastor realizes that people in his congregation need comes up in a text, and they're not there, and they miss it. And this is why the pastor's sermon carries authority. It's not just your pastor's personal opinion. The sermon comes with the authority of God's word. Now, there's another reason that preaching is necessary and why it really matters how you listen, and it's because there's an exam coming. The Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ are going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to administer a comprehensive exam that it's going to include everything you have ever thought in the most secret moments, every word you've ever spoken, everything you've done, and everything you should uh, have uh, done. And how you listen to your pastor's preaching is a big part of getting ready for the final exam. Very soberingly, Paul continues and he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul's warning the time will come, but actually, uh, Paul already thinks the time has arrived. He warned the elders in Ephesus that false teachers would emerge from him and Timothy is sent after that problem has already taken place. He warns Timothy in both of his letters about the corrupting influence of false teaching uh, and and myths, empty things that people regard as uh, true. And as a result, they're unwilling to hear sound teaching. That word sound comes from the same Greek word that we get the word healthy from. It's the teaching that produces and promotes health and life, both in the church as a whole and in us individually. And that time has come when people will resist this. They will turn away from this kind of teaching. And this is because we live in a war zone. You and I live in a war zone. There is a spiritual battle going around for our loyalties, for our minds, uh, for our hearts. It's as real as it is if you lived on the eastern front of Ukraine. There is grave danger for everyone who names the name of Christ. You see, there is this unholy trinity at work. The world, the devil, and the flesh that's warring against Christians. The world system seeks to squeeze us into its mold. The devil, who is the father of lies, has come to kill, uh, to steal, and destroy your life. He hates the God, and he hates God's image bearers, every human being. And he hates that God is restoring uh, his likeness in people. And then there's our flesh. And the Bible uh, means this. Often it's translated the word passion. It's our evil, sinful, disordered desires. We want what is unlawful, and we want what's good uh, in a way that's in excess, These hostile spiritual forces are arrayed against us. And I want to uh, mention two places where this battle is quite intense. Is Jesus Christ really the only way to God? Is he really the only way to eternal life? Is he really unique? Well, 70% of all Americans don't think that. They actually believe all religions uh, can take you to eternal life. And actually, 56% of the people who go to conservative uh, Bible-teaching churches say the same thing, Uh, 56. Um, The odds are really high that that's some of the people sitting in the room. Jesus was very clear about this. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I could go on. There are many, many passages but it is crystal clear that this is what Jesus asserts. How is it that not just America, which, of course, much of America isn't believing, but how is it that the church that it says it believes the gospel in such large numbers has come to think this way? Well, in part because many, many arguments have been made that say that God is a God of love and mercy, and he will accept uh, into his presence people who don't believe in Christ. In other words, the mercy of God outweighs his holiness, his hatred for evil, and uh, his bringing forth justice in punishing uh, wrongdoing. But probably more significant is this, that we rub shoulders with people in America who have varying worldviews, answers to the most basic questions about life. Their belief system uh, is uh, different. There's a a Buddhist next door, a Muslim down the street. There's someone who doesn't think uh, that there's a possibility uh, that there's a God. They all live right around you, and they have a completely different moral framework. And we encounter among these people many exceptionally fine people who often reflect integrity, Uh, have high moral uh, standards, who have a concern uh, for the poor and make contributions uh, to our communities. Our democracy demands that we give the privilege to people in the public square the opportunity to hold and express all these points of view. Let me just say as an aside, if you don't give it to other people, you should not be surprised when they don't give it to you. And as a result, it's easy for Christians, and in fact, large numbers of Christians have just kind of glided into the notion that plurality must exist in regard to spiritual truths and the path to eternal life. In other words, all religions lead to God and to life. They just teach pretty much the same thing anyway. Add to the fact that many Christians who say Jesus is the only way are well, arrogant and demeaning of other people who don't agree with them. There are a lot of obnoxious people who want to defend this truth as the world shaped your thinking. The other example I want to uh, give you is the, uh, a place of real intense spiritual struggle. There's such intense uh, spiritual warfare around the topic of sexuality, gender, and sexual expression. Now, this has been going on probably my entire lifetime. And so, it's so common today. Most of the young people I've married that grew up in the church think there's nothing wrong with cohabitation. Um, uh, Many, many churchgoers engage in adultery and leave the church uh, when the consequences of it unfold. Uh, Increasingly, People embrace homosexuality, sexuality, and perhaps the newest and most intense front has to do with the fracturing of sexual personhood. Instead of holding biblical categories about gender and attraction and sexual expression and ethics, the world has uh, infiltrated our thinking, uh, reshaped our values, and is squeezing us into its mold. This is in part because we've been subjected to decades of portrayals in uh, film and television and literature to make this all seem very normal. Gender identities viewed as a choice, it's just a social construct. Gender expression is a preference. The biological sex assigned at birth is of little or no consequence uh, for this, is how you express yourself. Physical and emotional attraction are natural inborn desires that we can't control or deny. And even to suggest that these desires are contrary uh, to the Creator's design for human life, that they are unnatural and wrong, is to be viewed as ignorant or harmful, even oppressive. And today... Uh, Perhaps the biggest reason this is spreading so rapidly is the social contagion that takes place on the Internet and through social media, and especially people who have made it their mission uh, to do this. None of us are exempt from the world squeezing us into its mold. And you may say, well, I'm not bothered by any of these things. But you know the whole list of things I mentioned today? And I could go on. These things have penetrated our lives. And I need to say this. Your children are not safe. Our children are not safe. We have to be vigilant. Parents, you need uh, to follow the pattern of Deuteronomy. You need to talk to your children about these things, age-appropriate ways. Um, uh, And you need to be under the authoritative preaching of God's word. Preaching is essential if we're going to resist, and preaching must connect the ancient text that God has spoken to the world we actually live in. We don't live in another time. We live in this time. And in the West, there's never been a time like this time where these ideas, this way of thinking about life, has had so much force in people around us and even within the church. But I want to say this. You need to hear this as loudly as anything I've said this morning. Do not despair. Jesus has won the battle. Little children, you're from God and have overcome them. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater then he's in the world. That doesn't mean you won't be in a battle. And it doesn't mean there aren't some real casualties. There are. But we don't need to despair. Jesus is greater than all of this. John uh, closes his first letter with these thoughts. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Please pray with me. Gracious Lord God, be pleased to stir and seal to our hearts and minds what the Apostle has said to us and its application for us. Fill us, encourage us, strengthen us. We thank you that we have a a great champion in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Well, Jesus, by becoming truly one of us, fully one of us yet without sin, has overcome the world, the devil, and the flesh. And through his death, he's broken the power of them. And this table is given by him to those who by faith have turned to him and are experiencing something of that power in their lives. Who are resisting the world and its way of thinking and living and uh, who are resisting the devil with his temptations and his lies, and are willing to put to death those desires and passions that are unlawful. If that's you, then you are welcome to come to this table, not because you've done this all right, but because this is the table in which our conqueror strengthens us. But if that doesn't describe you, if you are not a person of faith... Please remain uh, here with us, but don't, don't partake of these elements. Take this time to ponder what it is you may have heard in this service.